0: Welcome to the Hill City Podcast. This is a recording of the weekly gathering from Hill City Church. We exist to help people follow Jesus and build their lives around three goals. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. If you'd like to join us, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Caustic Center in Farmington Hills, Michigan. We hope that today's message will help you follow Jesus. welcome to Hill City this morning we are so glad that you are all here joining us uh, we we had such a great time as Chelsea said at the founders Festival it was so fun to be able to introduce ourselves to so many members of our community uh, we loved it as Chelsea said we are already thinking about next year which is I feel like when you're when you spend like 24 hours at an event over two days like and you're already thinking about next year. That's a pretty exciting thing. And so thanks for again for everyone who came to help us We could not have done that without you guys. Uh, it is it was such a gift to us but we pray as well a gift to our community also and so uh, We are going to continue on in our series on earth as it is in heaven here this morning and as we get started, I, I want to just uh, tell you guys about something that happened to me a few weeks ago. I was, uh, you guys know some of this story. Uh, you guys remember a few weeks ago, we, or about a month ago now, we asked you to pray for just our relationship with the Caustic Center. Well, What I didn't tell you in the midst of all of that was they had sent us an email on like a Friday afternoon. I mean, pretty much at closing time. So I, I had already kind of gone home for, for the weekend to hang with family. And, uh, and the email... It felt like it was an, it, it was a, 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 just a switch that had flipped. Um, all these things that I kind of had thought we had agreed to was different, and I thought maybe I misunderstood. And I got to be honest with you, the emotion that I, I felt it wasn't joy, it wasn't elation, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't any of those. It was, it was pretty, pretty significant anger. I was pretty frustrated and upset about it, and uh, and I thought to myself, you know what? I've worked a lot over the last few years to be able to kind of like. Be somewhat emotionally healthy. My wife might disagree, but um, but I've been working on it. Okay, uh, and so uh, so I've been try- I was trying to work on it, and I was acknowledging that I was feeling something. And so I was asking my que- myself, okay, the question like, why am I feeling this so deeply? Like, why am I feeling this in such a big way? And. Um, and that didn't work. Uh, I still continued to feel it in a big way. And I thought, and I started like creating this narrative in my head uh, and I was like, you know what? That's not true. That's not true. I know that's not true, but guess what? I still kept thinking it. Uh, and it got to the point where I was getting anxious. I was getting like stressed about it. And people, Jim was like telling me, he's like, you just gotta calm down. Like you, you're creating this whole situation scenario that doesn't even exist. And I was like, you're right, I know, but guess what? I still continue to feel it and get upset and like work myself up to the point where like I would is I was pretty ready. I was pretty ready for like a fight over something that wasn't even existing. I mean, have you ever gotten into that spot where you've gotten so worked up over something that you became so convinced of something in your life, in your heart, but then you came to it, entered into the situation and it wasn't even that at, at all? I mean, I, was so, I knew the right things to do. I knew to question why I was feeling that way. I knew to begin to assume the best with the leadership of the Caustic Center and, and our relationship with them and the relationship that we had been working on. I knew all these things. But in that moment, for some reason, the, my flesh side began to win out in that war, and I began to get more and more angry. And so I went to them immediately, and I said, hey, can we have a meeting? Can we talk about this? And we did, and guess what? Everything was fine. All of those assumptions that I had made about them was not true. And I've, I walked out of the meeting, and I just realized my anger was, was for nothing. Like, it was all out of fear, and it was all out of just this situation that didn't even exist. I created something in my heart and in my mind that, that wasn't real. And I tell you that story, I tell you that side of the story. I told you guys, hey, pray for us, pray for us, but I tell you the, the kind of impact that it had on me because we're in the midst of this series called On Earth As It, as it Is In Heaven as we are looking at Jesus' most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapters five through seven. And really, this is a discourse on discipleship. It's a, it's a picture of what our lives are meant to look like as disciples, or another way that we've been saying it, it's, it's, meant to, it's, it's, a, it's a sermon that is about what life in the kingdom of heaven is all about. And it was in that moment as we're prepping for the series and as I'm struggling with this, this email that I'm realizing, in the midst of all of it, that my life is not very kingdom-minded in this. I was struggling with this reality that I was, I was living out. I was struggling with knowing what Jesus had called me to do, but not really doing it. And there are some honest, honest uh, confession here. There are some sermons that we come to, and I look at the topic, and I'm like, yes, Jesus has been doing a good work in me. I am ready to talk about this. Today, as we talk about kind of our anger and our emotions that we feel towards others in those moments, this is not one of those ones where I, I come to you and say, I've arrived, okay? Uh, I am I'm a work in progress, uh, but I do believe that uh, God has done a work in me as a result. I'm not where I've, I was, but I'm not where I want to be either, if you, if you know what I'm saying. But again, I think Jesus' words, they teach us so much about what this life in the kingdom of heaven is meant to look like. And if you were here with us a couple weeks ago, we looked at this specific verse that I really believe has implications for the rest of the sermon on the mount. And so if you weren't with us, I kind of want to catch you up on what Jesus was saying to the crowds that were listening to him. He's, he really was teaching them that for life in the kingdom of heaven, it's not just about the external actions, which that's what all the people kind of thought the the law and of, of the law of Moses, the teachers of the law they taught that it was all about the external actions. But Jesus, he was showing us that it's not just about the external actions, it's about what's happening in our heart. And this is what we are walking into. He says in Matthew 5.20, Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness, your righteousness, my righteousness, our way of living, unless it surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the people who who were meant to be the most highly educated, highly moral people in the day, he says, unless it surpasses theirs, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And what he was saying was exactly the point we were making, is that it's not just about the external actions. It's about our heart in the midst of it. And so what Jesus does through the Sermon on the Mount is he reveals the heart of the Father, and he reveals what our heart should look like as followers of his bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth here and now. And so he's inviting us to this new kind of level of righteousness, not a righteousness that's dependent upon did we do this or did we not do this, but rather a reflection of what's happening within our hearts in the process. And we're going to see... Uh, see kind of these six areas it's called the six antitheses where Jesus comes and he says you've heard it said but now I say to you where he's really getting to the heart of these things Adam did a great job tackling two of them last week in in adultery or and divorce today we're going to tackle another one as you can tell in anger And again, anger is just one of those things that I believe that we've all felt. Uh, We've all struggled with it. And Jesus has words for us about what this looks like in the kingdom here today. And so we're going to see what Jesus has to say in Matthew 5, starting in verse 21. Here's what he says. He says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who does murder will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus starts this antithesis with a redefinition, a a, a typical rabbinical statement. You have heard it said, but I say to you. It's a redefinition of of kind of the typical teaching for their teaching. And so Jesus, in doing this, he begins to quote the sixth commandment, you shall not murder. That's found in Exodus 20. And then he sums up essentially all of the the law, the teachers of the law, teachings around murder and saying that anyone who does murder will be subject to judgment. And on the surface, this is an easy command, right? Don't murder. Check, okay, I'm doing okay when it comes to following this commandment. But Jesus, again, is not after our external behaviors. He's after the desires and the attitudes of our heart. So Jesus, he goes on to renew this kind of command and reveal the heart of it in saying that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister is subject to judgment. And then this easy command that says, yep, I have not murdered anyone today. I'm doing okay. All of a sudden becomes a lot harder. Because I don't know what your drive was like on the way over here but I couldn't get past the bridge on middle belt because it was still closed, and I forgot that. All right, so I got angry, right? Or maybe you got cut off, or maybe your uh, spouse, hypothetical situation, was running late, you know, and uh, you were ready to go before them, or your kids, you told them 20 times to put on their shoes, and then you go and check, and guess what? They don't even have socks on anymore. Like, they've gone backwards in the process, right? I don't know what your morning was like, but all of a sudden, this command gets a little bit more difficult, to obey, because Jesus puts murder and anger on the same level. In this passage and the passages to come, Jesus is revealing a fuller expression of God's will for his people. And therefore, he's giving this ethic from above that calls for his followers to eliminate anger. To eliminate anger. That's at the heart of what Jesus is trying to communicate in these verses. And when you hear me say eliminate anger, don't hear me say don't be angry. Those are not the same things. Uh, God created us with the capacity for anger. I think we see some of that in these moments when Jesus is flipping the tables in in the temple courts, right? Why do we see Jesus kind of having this righteous anger but he's calling us to eliminate anger. Well, again, I believe we were created with the capacity for anger, and I think it's the proper response when we see injustices happening. But really, I believe when what we're seeing for Jesus is that he's inviting us in the same way that Paul is inviting us in our anger to not sin. And that's exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry and give the enemy, the devil, a foothold. Paul recognizes that anger will come. And that's why Jesus, also recognizing that anger will come, says, in your anger, right? And Jesus says, whoever is angry. So there's a reality that, like, anger is going to happen. It's, it's, a, it's an emotion that we can feel. But there's something that happens. In our anger, we shouldn't sin. And whoever is is angry is going to be subject to judgment. So what is Jesus getting at? If we're called to eliminate anger, but we are allowed to feel anger, how do, we, how do we justify this? What do we do in this? The aim here is for our hearts to allow our hearts to look more and more like Jesus so that when our anger comes, sin is not our natural reaction to it. Or when we are angry, we're able to kind of interrogate those emotions and begin to move on. What is anger? Simply put, anger is the outward expression of an internal wound or offense that we feel. I think that's one of the simplest definitions that I could find when simply just trying to discover what is anger. It is the outward expression of an internal wound or offense. So let me paint a picture for you, right? Uh, You're running late for work, right? For some reason, you're running late, whether it's your alarm didn't go off in time or you were just, you know, running behind because something happened, you're running late for work and on your way to work, you get cut off by a driver who then proceeds to go slow to their destination. What do you feel? Again, probably not joy or excitement, but probably anger, right? Maybe you confide in a friend something that you, that's kind of, you've been struggling with or you've been feeling. And the friend says, thank you so much for telling me, you're, you know, this will just stay between you and I. And a few weeks later, as you're talking to, to some people, you discover that maybe your secret was revealed to other people as well. What do you feel in that moment? Again, I'm, my hunch is it's probably not excitement, but rather it's, it's, It's an anger, right? This inward offense, this internal wound, and you express it in a certain way. Maybe, again, you tell your kids a hundred times to be careful. Again, I don't know this experience, but just to be careful around the carpet with that juice, right? Don't squeeze it, the juice box, tell them a hundred times, and then ten minutes later they come and say, Dad... I need a paper towel. Right? And you say, why? And they didn't. They weren't careful. Right? I don't know. Whatever the situation is, we've all experienced anger in this way. And what's interesting about the English language is we have one word for anger. Right? It's just anger. And that can be the, the burst of anger. That can be the deep wound. It's just one word. In the Greek, in which the New Testament was written, there's actually four different words for anger. One word is, all, is like an irritation that you would feel towards someone who has done something unjust or wrong. Another one is an irritation that comes uh, from a repetitive action that is done. But the two that are more often used, the two that are more often used, one is a word called thumos. And thumos is, oh, we've got confetti coming down still. Um, thumos is this quick anger, this anger that kind of comes up And then a little bit later, it goes away, right? We've all experienced that anger, right? We've all experienced that kind of quick burst. We blow up and then we feel better. We wish we wouldn't have said the things that we said in that quick burst of anger, but it happened and we kind of learn and figure out how to move on. That's the one kind of anger that's used often throughout the New Testament. The other anger is this word called orge. And orge is this abiding mindset of resentment towards someone based on a lingering hurt. This could be described more as like a meditative anger. And it's actually this word that Jesus is using in Matthew five. So when you are reading Jesus's words around anger, don't think that quick flare up where you yell something and then just kind of feel better and move on. No, no, this is that deep lingering hurt that sits and stays in your heart the kind of anger that you feel for weeks upon end, the kind of anger that you feel towards someone as you're laying in bed at night and you're playing over these scenarios and situations that haven't even happened and you, as a result, lose sleep from. It's this deep-rooted anger that you feel, that you brood over, the kind of anger that you get stuck in. What's interesting about this word that Jesus, is u- that Jesus uses here in Matthew 5 is that it's a present participle. It's kind of this tense of the verb that he used. And what that means is that it's a continuous action. And so a maybe better translation, uh, or maybe more, I shouldn't say better, a more modern translation of what Jesus is saying here is that it would be along the lines of someone saying, whoever is being angry or whoever is nursing a grudge. So when we see it in that way, we begin to understand what Jesus is actually getting at. It's not this quick anger that we feel and then goes away. It's this kind of anger that breaks down fellowship between two people. It's this kind of anger that destroys relationships as a result of this grudge that we nurse. And Jesus, as he talks about this, he, he's explaining that this is not meant for those of us who are followers of Jesus, those of us who are in the kingdom. But how do we get there? How do we get to this spot where this grudge seems like the only natural or reasonable feeling that we are experiencing? I looked online and, and found, I think, a tool that I thought was pretty helpful, and it was just, it's a simple thing called the cycle of anger, and here's how the cycle of anger works. An event happens that triggers your anger. It's something that kind of happens that makes you mad, and after that event, we begin to think negative thoughts, and these thoughts are often irrational, right? But they come from that event, thoughts like that driver clearly is the worst that has ever been born and doesn't care about any, anyone on the road, right? No one, we've all thought that at some point, But is that an actual, true, and rational thought? Of course not. But we think those things in those moments when we've been wronged. And once we feel those, or once we we begin to think those negative thoughts, we begin to experience an emotional response. The negative thoughts lead to negative feelings, even if the thoughts are irrational. And after that emotional response, after those negative kind of feelings are felt, we begin to have a physical response. And we begin to react on our thoughts and our feelings with physical symptoms. Sometimes we'll feel a simple, um, we'll feel our our blood pressure rising. We'll get the sweat on the brow, right? These things are, are the physical responses that our body begins to experience as a result of those thoughts and feelings that we have. And then after those physical responses happen, we have a behavioral response. And this is where we begin to react Based on those thoughts, those feelings, and physical symptoms. And this could be as subtle as the age-old huff and puff, right? (sighs) You know, like that kind of thing. Or the eye roll. Or it could be as extreme as an outburst of anger. And what happens often after that physical response is there's a level of peace, and I was reading something from the from Harvard uh, science study that says that we can actually get, get addicted to those behavioral responses in our anger. And so people who, ha- who are just kind of always simmering at an anger, you guys know, remember like that line from the Avengers when Hulk like is about to turn and he's like, it's a, probably a good time to get angry. And he's like, that's my secret, I'm always angry. Like people can be addicted in those things. Because when you have that emotional outburst, that behavioral outburst I should say, you actually release dopamine in your brain. And in that dopamine hit, your body desires it again and again. And that's why it becomes a cycle. Because after that emotional out- or that behavioral outburst, it'll often trigger something else that will go. And this doesn't happen over hours. This is often something, this cycle, it often happens in seconds. But we go through it quickly. And before we know it, we get to these spots where we are often sitting here. Asking the question, it's been weeks, and how did I get here? How did I begin to feel such animosity towards this person that I feel wronged by? We don't desire to get there, but it's so simple when we see this cycle. And Jesus says that. He says, listen, it's in these behavioral responses that we call someone raka. And I don't know if you've used that insult before, but now I've just added something to your arsenal, right? Okay? But it's this word and this Hebrew word is a word that is, means head or fool. And so, like, the idea is that you're calling someone dumb. The idea is, like, when you use this word raka, you're saying, you empty head, right, which I know is really a hurt, uh, hurtful word to say. But it's this idea where you're insulting the person. You're calling them an empty head, someone who's dumb. But then Jesus goes on. He says, or someone who goes and t- says to someone, you fool. Well, this Greek word there is the word moros, which is the word that we get moron from. And the way that it was used in Jesus' day was not just a simple insult, but instead it was something that was used to to, uh, attack someone's character. And so what Jesus is saying is, in your anger... You, be, you do not want to move from kind of using this word raka, which is an insult on the person, to this word you fool, where you begin to assassinate their character. And isn't that so easy to do in the midst of our anger? We go from kind of insulting the person to shaming their character. We go from talking about the person's behavior to talking about the person's heart in just that quick, that moment of moving through the cycle of, of our anger. And wouldn't you know, that the moment that our our hearts begin to feel justified to kind of go from talking about the person's actions to the actual person, we begin to see them as less of a person. And it's maybe in those moments that murder becomes conceivable, when we see them as less than a person. And so you see this jump from, I haven't murdered today, is actually something that Jesus is revealing in the heart that makes a lot of sense. The anger begins to move us down this cycle that we don't enjoy, that begins to be frustrated more with a person's actions to moving to really attacking and assassinating their character, their heart, the person themselves. And this is what Jesus is saying. I don't want those of you who live in the kingdom to operate in this way. It breaks down fellowship. And then the church's witness to the world is a bunch of people who are broken and hurt and biting and, back, uh, and backbiting at each other. That's not the way it's meant to be. Jesus is concerned with our hearts. He doesn't want anger, if undealt with, to turn into resentment and despair and then lead to actions. This is the heart of what Jesus is getting at. And so when you hear Jesus redefine anger, it's not just this quick flare up, it's that deep relational resentment that we get stuck in, and that's what he's calling us out of. And I feel like I have to at least draw attention to this. Jesus says that anyone who is angry in this way is subject to judgment, is subject, is, uh, subject to the fires of hell. Hell is not something that we like to talk about today. It's just one of those things that people get uncomfortable with. A lot of people don't believe in it. It, it, It's just one of those touchy topics. But I feel like we need to at least address it. Because so many people have this false understanding around hell. I hear all the time people say, well, I just can't understand why good God would send people to hell. And that, that rationale is understandable. But can I tell you, it actually begins in the wrong spot. Because I... I believe that what we read about throughout Scripture is not that God is sending people to hell, but rather God is rescuing people from hell. Oftentimes, the trajectory, the eternal trajectory of our life is a continuation of the life that we are living here and now, which is why we are talking about on earth as it is in heaven. Because yes, through the Sermon on the Mount, we do believe that through our discipleship to Jesus, we can usher in the kingdom of heaven here and now and not just wait for it to be an internal destination that we experience on the road. But that means if the kingdom of heaven can be ushered in, then that means based on this understanding that the kingdom of hell could also be ushered in as well. And so what Jesus is just inviting us to understand is like, listen, in the midst of how we live out and especially in our relationship to the people around us, there is an ability to usher in a different kingdom a kingdom that's defined by anger and hate, a kingdom that's defined by all these characteristics that we are going to be discussing throughout the remainder of the Sermon on the Mount. And I do believe that for many of us, for many of us, who we will become and the life that we will live for all of eternity is a continuation of who we are now and the life we are living here and now. So if we come and we live our lives fully absent from the presence of God, then that will be the continuation of our lives for eternity. And in fact, when we read about hell in Scripture, we read about it as the absence of God. For those of us who live into the kingdom, that will often be just a continuation of what we are living into right now. And I'm thankful that God knows our hearts. I'm thankful that I don't have to be the judge of people's faith and relationship with Jesus. I'm I'm grateful that he is going to do that and he knows all things. But I just wonder how often, how often Jesus, he gives us what we want. If we want a life that is void of him, a life that is void of the things of his kingdom, then he will not force himself upon us but rather give us the things and desires of our heart. I know that hell is not the popular topic uh, to talk about. It's not very often in my time in ministry that I've done a series on hell because it's just not a really motivating topic to talk about, right? But I do feel like because Jesus addresses it here, it's something that we should at least acknowledge and point out. I think of Dallas Willard's line for when he's talking about just God's uh, attitude towards rescuing people from hell and not forcing himself upon people he says hell is just the best that god can do for some people some people don't want jesus or himself his way in in their lives and because he is loving he will not force himself or make them follow him he will give them ultimately their hearts and their desires and so an eternity absent from him is what they what they would earn But if this is not your desire, then how do we break this cycle of anger? How do we break free uh, of it and live at the peace that Jesus is inviting us into? I believe that Jesus shows us what this is meant to look like in the following verses. He shows us how to break the cycle in verse 22. He says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. What Jesus is inviting us in these verses is to understand the necessity of peace. And so if he's inviting us to eliminate anger, what he's inviting us to place in response to that is peace. And we might get lost in Jesus' example here because of our cultural moment. We don't understand this whole temple offering and what it's meant to be. You see, there's only one altar, one temple in Jesus's day and it was found in Jerusalem and Jesus he's teaching on the, in the on a mountain on the side of the Sea of Galilee that is 60 miles away from Jerusalem and so what Jesus is saying to these Galileans is he's saying if you are offering your gift at the temple and you realize that someone has an anger or an offense against you you've done something to hurt them okay You have done something to hurt them. He says, leave your gift at the altar. Travel 60 miles back to them. Seek peace. And then come and travel 60 miles back. Then offer the gift. Jesus is saying, take peace seriously. Take peace seriously. To break the cycle of anger, we need to understand the importance and the necessity of peace for the follower of Jesus. We aren't meant to live in conflict with the people around us. We're meant to live reconciled lives to the people around us. We're meant to be people of peace and reconciliation. And as the church, I believe that we have a lot of room to groan this. Because so often, we are known for what we are against rather than what we are for. And so we have room We have room to come and understand how necessary peace is for those of us who are followers of Jesus. But it's so important. It's so, so important for us. It's so, so important for us to understand that our relationship with Jesus is connected to our relationship with the people around us. This is why Jesus says in the greatest commandment, I'm summarizing, love the Lord your God with all of who who you are and then love the people around you just like you love yourself. Love God, love others. He's saying our relationship to the people around us is tied to our relationship with God. We cannot experience full love of God if we are not loving the people around us well. And so it's important for us to understand how necessary peace is in our relationship with God. And so maybe if you are feeling distant from God, or you feel like there is a barrier in your prayers, or you feel like there's a wall that's kind of up in your worship, then maybe you are unreconciled with someone in your life. And there's many potential reasons for this. I don't want to pretend to know every nuance of every kind of situation that you are each walking through, but one of the reasons might be this very thing. Earlier in my marriage, more often than not, I would talk to my wife and I would ask her this age-old question, are you mad at me? At which she would respond, no. And then I would ask again, are you mad at me? And she would respond, no. Then I would say, but okay, but are you mad at me? And she would respond, no! I'd be like, it feels kind of like you're mad at me, you know, kind of uh, based on how. And oftentimes, earlier in our marriage, when we were still growing in our ability to communicate with one another, she would say, well, how did you know? I am mad at you. I'd be like, I know. I felt it. You know, like, it's very clear. I felt it. Sometimes that might be kind of the reasons that we're feeling kind of distant from God. It might not always be in the sense that we're not walking through the certain thing. It might be that we're unreconciled with the people around us. And so we need to understand how important reconciliation is for us. Without this reconciliation, this peace, our relationship with God is fra- fractured. We're out of step with the Holy Spirit. And if we want to break this cycle of anger in our lives, then we need to understand how important it is, and begin to build our lives around it. But this is just step one in breaking the cycle. Cycle. It's admitting that we that we need peace in our lives. And Jesus continues to show us in the following verses what we need to do next. In verses 25 and 26, he says this, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison truly i tell you you will not get out until you have paid the last penny i believe the invitation from jesus right here is to choose to make peace quickly the verb in this passage is that very first line settle matters quickly that's at the heart of Jesus' desire for peace and reconciliation. We are to settle matters quickly. He's urging his people to deal, deal with the wrongs in your relationship quickly and fully. Any kind of breakdown in fellowship. Don't let them linger. Don't let them hang there, but rather go and seek peace right away. If you have a breakdown in fellowship that lingers and continues to grow over time and over time and over time, it will ultimately lead to spiritual murder. The longer we wait to reconcile, the more severe the consequences are likely to be. And so Jesus says, hey, if someone's taking you to court, settle the matters right there on your way to the court, and then you don't have to deal with it, and you don't have to get caught up in the judgment that will come. But friends... The difficulty of this is that it requires humility. It requires you to come and admit that you've wronged someone, to ask for forgiveness. And to seek peace with that those people. My daughter is in a very cute phase as a four-year-old. Um, but she's also in a very sassy um, phase where a lot of her attitude is coming out as well. And so the other week she uh, she was pinching and kind of uh, disobeying. And I said, Ava, you have to go sit and time out. And she didn't even sit down. And she said, Dad, I'm so sorry. I'm just feeling a lot of things. <laughs> I was like wow, that's actually really honest and healthy of you. Like, uh, teach me your ways, young four-year-old. And so like, so I went and I gave her a hug and I said, I understand, thank you for saying sorry. I'm sorry too, but when you are feeling these feelings, you can't act this way, you can't pinch and yell at them. So go say sorry, and she went right to her siblings, said sorry, they gave each other hugs. And I thought, oh, if only that was exactly how easy it was as we were adults. We would just go and make peace and choose to reconcile with one another so quickly and then just give each other a hug at the end. How great would that be, right? So much heartache and pain would be avoided if that was the case. But I do want to draw something, draw our attention to something here as we look at this final example. These two examples that Jesus gives to us, they're not our anger to someone. I don't know if you caught that but they're actually other people's anger towards us. He says, whoever is angry in the first part, and he says, this is how you kind of need, to, don't, don't move in the cycle. But then he goes on, he says, but whoever is angry with you, leave your gift and go seek peace. Whoever's taking you to court, settle matters quickly. He begins to shift this focus from us being angry towards someone else towards someone else being angry towards us. I've always wondered why. Why is that shift? And I believe that the best answer for that is because we are more likely to remember when we have something against others than when we have done something to offend the people around us. And if we're truly concerned about our anger and our hate towards the people around us, then we should be no less concerned when we do the same to the people around us. I believe that that's what he's inviting us to understand, that it's not so much us being angered towards someone. He's concerned about that, but he's just as concerned when we've wronged the people around us as well. And so we need to own the sin and blundering on our part. I love this instruction in Matthew 5 when we pair it with Paul's instructions to the church in Rome in Romans 12. He says this, If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you live at peace with one another. If it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with one another. Pastor and author John Piper, I like the way that he kind of described this. He says, we are only responsible for what others hold against us when it's owning to a real sin or a blunder on our part. And then he says, and we are responsible to pursue reconciliation, but live with the pain if it does not happen. In other words, we're responsible, we're not responsible to make reconciliation happen. We are responsible to pursue reconciliation. I believe that this is part of what Jesus is inviting us to. And what he's inviting us to ask ourselves to really live out as we move forward. Eliminate anger sounds good, but in the practical day-to-day stuff, it's hard to live out. So what do we do in the day-to-day ways that we live our lives? And I think our response should should simply be this. If you are angry with someone, if you are angry towards someone else, I believe one of the best things that you can do is choose to trust and seek peace. You see, in those moments, when we get angry, we begin to uh, feel all sorts of weights towards people, right? When there is a gap between what we've expected someone to do, but then what we experience them to do is different, there's a gap there. And so often, it's easy for us to fill that gap with anger or suspicion or hate, and we begin to feel all sorts of feelings towards that person. But what I believe, one of the healthiest things that we can do is we can choose to trust that and believe the best about that person in that gap. And once we are wronged, once we believe the worst or once we believe the worst in the people, about the person, that reconciliation becomes harder. But if we choose to trust and believe the best about them, then what we are able to do is we're able to seek peace more easily and freely. And in doing this, I believe that we'll follow James's advice when he says in James 1, 19 and 20, he says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and what? Slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. When we choose to trust, and we don't choose to be suspicious or angry or hateful towards that person, we're slow to become angry. We believe the best. And we go to that person directly and we seek peace. We don't do what I did with the Caustic Center email and we create all these false scenarios that aren't even happening. No, no, we choose to trust, believe the best, and we go directly to them. I did half of that. I went directly to them and said, can we meet like right now? And they were like, yes, in a couple weeks. And so we did that. And I was able to communicate freely. This is how I was feeling. I want to check in, see what's going on. And it all ultimately came to nothing. So here's how we communicate our feelings. We need to communicate why we're telling them. One of the things that I've felt is I come and say, hey, because I value this relationship and I care about you and our relationship, I have to tell you this. And I communicate what happened that caused hurt in my heart, communicate the feelings that I felt, and then what my desire is for the future. And then I always try and end with just a, hey, and I'm just to remind you, I'm telling you this because I care about you and I I want our friendship, our relationship to be strong and to be tight, to be close. So you communicate the why, you communicate the what, you communicate how you're feeling and then you communicate ultimately your vision for the future. And in doing so, you'll ultimately begin to create this kind of communication pathway that will build bridges towards reconciliation and peace, which is ultimately the desire for God's people and his followers. So this is what you do when you're angry. You elevate the relationship over the anger that you might be feeling. But what do you do if you have angered someone? Because again, that's half of what Jesus is talking about. If you've angered someone, go to the person quickly and seek peace. Jesus spends as much time talking about our, someone that we have angered as much as our anger. And so if we realize that we've hurt someone, then we need to settle matters quickly because Jesus' followers are people of peace and reconciliation. So how can we own to a wrongdoing? How can we confess or ask for forgiveness in these moments? We go to the person directly. We settle that matter quickly. We tell them that we are sorry. We communicate what we are sorry for. Not just like, I'm sorry that you're hurt, my bad. No, 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 I'm sorry for my role in this. Here's what I did. You show them that you understand why it was wrong and how it hurt them. You take ownership, you don't make excuses. And then you tell them ultimately the steps that you will do to right the wrong. Hey, in the future, in those moments of anger, I'll try and stop and take a breath and not speak that way towards you. Hey, I know that that, when I am rushed and hey, I'll try and work on this and this so that this doesn't happen, right? You begin to show them what happens and then you listen. It's one of the best things that you can do. You simply just listen, listen to how they're feeling, what they're feeling. Jesus is concerned with our hearts, our hearts towards other people and their hearts towards us as well. God's people, this kingdom of heaven is not meant to be a kingdom of murder and anger and hate. It's meant to be a kingdom of peace and reconciliation. And so we have a role in bringing that about in the lives and the people around us. And so I want us to end our time by just asking some questions. And these are primarily against for if we have angered someone, because it's pretty easy for us to think about the people that we're angry with, but maybe harder for us to think about the people that are angry with us. So maybe just some questions to ask in your reflection. Am I responsible for any grudges that someone has against me? So we just been that relationship that I kind of stay away from, and I know why, but I just haven't really pursued any kind of reconciliation maybe another question is, is is there anyone that is angry towards me? Is there any anger someone has against me? Or maybe another question is, am I responsible for any bitterness someone has against me? Or am I responsible for any hostility someone has against me? I don't know what your situations look like. And I know that I'm kind of talking in a high level view of anger and that there are some specific, very deep wounds of hurt that are there. And we would love to walk alongside of you as you seek reconciliation. We can re- recommend some great people here, even who are here, part of our body at, at Hill City that can help you in those things. But our desire is to be a people of peace and reconciliation. Some of you, you're sitting here, sitting back and saying, yes, my life is defined by anger, but I desire to have that peace that you talk about. The first thing that you must do is choose ultimately to follow Jesus. That's the most important thing that you can do to begin that step, taking those steps towards reconciliation. To acknowledge that Jesus reconciled us to God when we were enemies, when we hated him through the cross through paying for our sins and offering us forgiveness. And out of that reconciliation that we have through the cross to God, we can then be reconciled to the people around us. The gospel is not simply just for the vertical relationship, it's also meant for the horizontal relationships that we have with others as well. In fact, Jesus says the way that we relate to the people around us is a reflection of how we relate to God. So friends, our invitation to you today is simply this. Let's make peace. Let's be a people of reconciliation. And as we do that, we will come and we will, we will be people who are not simply just coming to the cross every week to come and lay our sins, but we will be coming from the cross, leaving our gift at the altar to go and acknowledge that Jesus desires our relationships to be right before he desires our worship to Him. So let's be people of peace, of reconciliation. If you desire to talk about this, I'll be over here. We'd love to come and pray with you, to talk with you more about it. But ultimately in these moments, we just wanna invite you to reflect, ask yourself those questions, and ultimately make a plan for how you can pursue peace with the people around you today if you need that. Father, we come and we thank you. We thank you that in the midst of certain topics in your word, some ring true and are easy to talk about, but others ring true that are hard to talk about. Anger is just such a common emotion that we feel today. But this deep-seated grudge that we nurse against the people around us is not ultimately what your people are meant to live in and to live out. We are meant to be people of peace and reconciliation, people who pursue the very things, God, that you have called us to in ushering your kingdom here in heaven. I pray for all of us here at Hill City that we would be people who would go and make peace with the people around us if we need to, that we would seek peace, that we would be understanding that others may not be ready to forgive us in these moments, but we would be people who, as far as it depends upon us, lives at peace with the people around us. That we would not be angry, that we would recognize that you care about our relationships with the people around us Father, that we choose to settle matters quickly, just as you say. That we choose to break the cycle of anger in our lives. That in our anger, we would not sin. That we would be slow to angry, but quick to listen. Father, our hope, our desire, is that our relationships with the people around us would be witnesses to the watching world. That they would see our community of fellowship and desire so deeply to be a part of it. And so, Lord, as we come and as we sing this song, Father, I pray that we would be led to the cross, that our eyes would be opened to our sin, and, Father, that we would ask for forgiveness and make plans to seek peace in our lives. So, Lord, we love you, and we pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's respond to this reality with worship.